Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. Hey, we, we uh, open, if you've got your Bibles today, open up to Exodus 40, uh, because we're going to close out this, uh, this book today. It's been a long trek three, for three years. This is the third, third year uh, we've been mining the gold in Exodus. And what, we, what we've seen in this book, um, we have been searching for and exalting Jesus in Exodus. He is a greater Moses. He is our Exodus. We've continually looked for the gospel in this story. And when we read uh, the Bible, we've got to keep in mind that the Bible is not just a compilation of 66 books. It's not just Old Testament, New Testament. It's all one story, all pointing to Jesus Christ. Whenever you pick up your Bible, always have that one story perspective. Always be searching and looking for Jesus Christ. If you have not been with us during that sermon series, I'm going to encourage you uh, to, to go online and catch up. I want to encourage you to download that app. Our LifePoint app is full of great resources, questions to walk through each week. Uh, all of the sermon series is online. If you've not yet downloaded that app, please do that. It's a great resource for you. Uh, but we, we've been talking about this over and over again, the, the book of Exodus. Exodus. And the name indicates clearly the Exodus is an exit. It's God rescuing, redeeming, and exiting his people out of the slavery in Egypt, right? But this story is not just about an exit, it's also about an entrance. Let me explain that. God exited his people from slavery to sin or slavery in Egypt for the sole purpose of an entry into his presence. Like he didn't, just, he didn't just evacuate them out of Egypt so they could just live like free people and do what they wanted to do. He exited them in order to draw them into his presence. He drew them out to draw them in. Right? That's the whole purpose of why he did that. And we've continually threaded through this that this story is our story. The Israelites, we are the Israelites. The same God of the Exodus is the God of today. And what he does with us is he exits us out of slavery to sin, out of the penalty of sin. Not so we could just live like free people. Not so we could just wave around our get out of hell free car. Not for that purpose, but for the sole purpose of pulling us into himself. God draws us out 
to draw us into himself. A grand entrance. And today, in the book of Exodus, this grand entrance, this is what we're going to see. This climax of the entire story, God floods the tabernacle with his people, his presence. That's what we're going to see uh, today. Now listen, one of the things that we want to, uh, as we set up this, this idea here today, is that we were made for more than just being rescued, just having salvation. We were created, we were made for so much more. You could even hear the, those things in the songs that we're already singing today. All, even the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, they are consistent with the scriptures and the stories we're doing. We don't just pick songs we like, although we like them. Man, it's the theme of what we're talking about today, that we as a people were created and made for so much more than we could possibly understand. I pray that we see that today. Let's pray uh, before we get into God's word today. Let's do that. God, you are good, and your gift of the book of Exodus has been amazing. God, what we are not as a people, would you make us? What we don't know, would you teach us? Where we are not and need to be, would you take us there? What we don't have and what we need, would you give it to us? But God, most importantly, God, give us you. Give us more of yourself. You've consistently showed us in this book that you are the gift. Dwelling with you is why we were created. Help us to do that. Show us how to get there. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, chapter 40. Let me just remind you where we were last week in chapters 37, 38, and 39. What we saw was the people of God doing, constructing the tabernacle that God had told them to do back in 25, 26, and 27. He gave them all the commands and all the details on what to do. And last week we saw that they not only loved the word, they lived the word. They constructed the tabernacle and all of the intricate details that actually went into it. They took seriously those commands and they began to live the word. Uh, well, today in verses 1 through 33, it's just wrapping up the details of the construction of the tabernacle. Nine times there's a reference that they did all that the Lord had commanded them. So they're putting the final touches on the tabernacle's construction, and it's done. And now we are about to see what God does that the construction of the tabernacle is done. We're going to see God's character, his nature, and all kind of things about him today now that it's been constructed. And we're going to pick up in verses 34 through 38. That's all we're going to cover today. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God came. God's presence, his glory flooded through the tabernacle like roaring waters. And when God showed up, they knew it. And he came. His presence could not be ignored. It was, the, it was so big and so mighty that it makes men tiny and undone. There's just a, a weakness that they feel. God came. God showed up. We've talked a lot about what the exodus is in the story, but this is the climax. This is the pinnacle of this entire story. God's entrance to dwell once again with the people. I said once again 
Because this is not the first time that God has dwelled with his people. Back in the Garden of Eden, God dwelled with Adam and Eve in perfect fellowship, relation, back and forth, walking, talking. There was a perfect harmony where God dwelled. But what happened? Sin happened. Sin fractured that harmonious relationship. God could no longer dwell with his people because he was holy and they were not holy. So the entire rest of the, of the Old Testament since then is God not being able to dwell with his people because they're full of sin. And this tabernacle construction is how God has made a way, a new way to recreate Eden, to Edenize the world, to take it back to the beginning where God and man dwelled together. That's the whole point of the tabernacle. So God and man could dwell together. This is why we were created. This is why we were created. To know God, to worship God, and to be with God. So he's taken him back to the original purpose of why he ever created him in the first place. To be with him. This is why we were created. I think the question might still uh, resonate with many of you. Why do I exist? Why was I created? Why does God do all this? Or is there, in fact, a God at all? Why am I on the face of the earth today? What is my purpose? Some believe that it's just some random act of of just mutated science project. And all of a sudden, boom, there's just the world. And now we exist. And uh, this is what we do. There's no God at all. This is what we do, which is perfectly convenient because if there's no creator, there's nobody that gets to tell me what to do. Then I'm all of a sudden, I'm God now. And that's very convenient, isn't it? It definitely is. Even the demons don't fall into the vice of atheism. Think about that. Even they don't fall for that ignorance. So why did God create? Why do we exist? Some believe that God created us because he needed us. As if... Like he, he needed something as if he was lacking in any way. Listen what it says in Acts. We'll read this, Acts 2. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything God doesn't need us. It's us who needs God. He created everything. He's not lacking. He never, never learned anything. He is the life giver, the life sustainer, and he did not create us because he needed us. We must understand that. It's an arrogant perspective. Another arrogant perspective is that God did it because he was lonely. God was just sitting there in heaven. He's lonely. He's looking around. No one's there. I need people because I'm lonely. This is also an arrogant view. Look at Genesis 1, 26a. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, This is before the foundation of the world, before the first human. Who's he talking to? Our likeness, our image. He's talking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. He is in perfect community before we ever took our first breath, before Adam and Eve. He was in biblical perfect community with himself. 
One God, three persons. So he was not lonely at all. It is us who are lonely. It is us who desperately needs God. All this story, as I said, is pointing to the tabernacle. So why did God, why did God create us? Why did he create us to even begin with? If it's not for those reasons, why is it? The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, God created us to glorify him and to enjoy him. To glorify Him and enjoy Him. To be with Him. That is why we exist. So this entire story of the tabernacle is once again God recreating Eden. Back when man and God could dwell together without man being consumed. So He constructed the tabernacle system. That's the whole point of this. When we know why we were created. Man, what's down that road? Once I understand that I'm, I'm, I am exist on the face of this earth to glorify God and to enjoy God, to know God, to be with God. Man, a life of abundance is there. Abundance, purpose, fulfillment. But if I look over here and I think my life exists for me, for my needs, I got to get mine. I, gotta, I only have one life to live. I'm going to make this as much about me. Listen, death And destruction is down that pathway. Maybe not immediately, but eventual death and destruction will be found there. The only created purpose is for God to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. Now, here's what we want to see too. Now that the tabernacle is done, all right, the construction's done, well, what happens? God is eager to rush and flood in with His presence. Why was He so eager? Well, because the people of God had clearly taken serious the commands to prepare for His presence. They had shown the repentance from the disaster with the golden calf, right? They had modeled repentance by taking serious the commands and all of the intricate details that went into the construction of the tabernacle. That's why God showed up. Because His people took serious the commands. He didn't, they didn't look at it and say, well, God's suggesting that, or suggesting that we just build the ark like this and the priestly garments and all these, the sacrifice. He's just suggesting these things. No, they took them as commands. And because they took them seriously, he was eager to step in and flood the presence of the tabernacle to dwell with his people in a mighty, magnificent way. So this is critical in our own lives. We have critically got to understand that if we want to experience a powerful manifestation of God in our lives, that we must take seriously the commands that He's given us in order to prepare for His presence. Because I think everybody in the room, everybody in here wants God's presence in their life. Right? We're all shaking our heads and, yes, God, I want you to show up in my marriage. I want you to show up in my family, in my relationship. Uh, I, I want you to show up in our church. I want you to show up in our community. I want you to show up in our country. God, show up and do something magnificent. Flood this place. Flood my life with your presence. But are we seriously taking commands of God 
and preparation for his arrival to come up and do something huge? Or do we look at his commands as suggestions? Well, a suggestion to go do this and do that. And we don't take serious the commands of coming in through. We, we fall short with that all the time. We say, God, would you just come in and restore and fix my marriage while we look at pornography on our devices? God, would you come in and, and make my kids obey? Would you just make them obey God while the parents turn around and do not model obedience to their own father? Father God, right? God, please do something crazy, supernatural with my finances. I'm broke right now. It ain't working. We can't say that while we don't practice generosity. The only time we like generosity is when it's been given to us. We can't pray to God in secret and then cling to secret sin on the side. We don't pray, God, would you just save my best friend? Would you save my husband? Would you save my coworker? Would you save my parents? Would you just do that, God, while we sit in silence and we've never shared the gospel with them one time? Listen, God is eager to step in and do something miraculous in your life in a powerful, powerful way that you've never experienced. But are you taking serious the commands and expecting him to come in and do it? We need to understand that the people of God, the Israelites here, they've already been saved, right? So this is not about them saving them. This is about him showing up in a new way, something miraculous. And the same is true for us that are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've already been saved. So this is not about God pay, getting God to pay attention to you by doing commands. It's about him showing up and doing something miraculous in your life. Are you taking serious the commands of God and eagerly anticipating Him. Do, you, do we realize that how eager God is to step into our mess? Like, He's not so busy, uh, like doing God things, like running the world, that He would not be able to stop and step in to our messes. He's eager. He's just sitting there. Let me do something. I'm coming in. Not that he needs your permission, but God, he wants to come in and step in and do something magnificent in your life. If you would just obey, if you would just take serious the commands, and he's ready to come in and do something crazy. Man, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we being prepared to do something or for God to do something in our life? Let's keep going in the text, Exodus 40, 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is complete. Moses has put in a lot of time and money and effort and all these things he's done in there as well all of the people had done. And now it's done. And Moses is thinking, okay, I get to rush in. His eyes are probably just bright-eyed. He's probably like a child that wants to flood in and go chase down the ice cream man's truck, right? Or there's a different age today. Maybe you all teach your kids to run away from the ice cream truck. I don't know. But he's excited. He's pumped up. He wants to run into the tabernacle to experience the glory of God. God says, no, no can do, Moses. You can't go in there. Why? If, if God wants to dwell with his people, why can't Moses get in? Because God is holy and we are not. God is a consuming fire. 
And anyone who is in the direct presence of God will be consumed by that fire. Was God the, I mean, was Moses the main human character in the story? Did he do great things? Absolutely. But Moses was a murderer. He was a doubter of God. And he was covered with sin. He was not holy. And he could not enter into the tabernacle. Now the good part about this is, or let's think about this for a second. So if Moses doesn't get in, you and I don't get in, right? Are we tracking? If he doesn't have a shot, I got no shot at getting in. This is not where the story ends. Later in Isaiah 33, Isaiah speaks of one who could come and would be able to get in. Who amongst us can go and dwell in the consuming fire? No one, but there's one coming. His name is Jesus, and he can come in. He won't be consumed by the fire because he is God, and he will shut the whole tabernacle system down. We'll get to that in just a moment. And that's the gospel in the book of Exodus. Let's go in verses 36 through 38. Because Jesus got in, we get in, right? Here we go. Throughout all the journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, so the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the end or till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day or by day, and fire was it in by night, in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. So here's what's going on. As the cloud is over and hovering over the tabernacle and fire by night, that sign was a sign that God was present with his people in the tabernacle. And while the cloud and the fire were there, they didn't go anywhere. They stayed put. God was guiding them, so they they didn't move. But when the cloud moved or when the fire moved by night, they moved. They literally packed up this entire tabernacle tent system, all of it, packed it all up and had to go to the next place until the cloud descended once again. When the cloud moved, the people moved. When the cloud did not move, the people did not move. The point I want to park in, there's two applications in this. Number one is, as these people who had spent a life journey wandering through the wilderness, tired people, old people, young people, hungry people, don't you think they would have just said, can we just stop? Do we really have to keep walking? My feet are tired. My grandma back here, she just can't keep going. Can we just set shop up here and stay? I mean, we got the manna. We got the quail, we got the water. Let's just stay here. This is a lot more comfortable. I don't want to keep going. We're already saved, right? God saved us. Can we just stop? That was not the plan. God's comfort for his people was not the plan. They were going to a journey, a destination to the promised land. God's, God's goal was not for the comfort of his people. So they moved. They never settled in to one spot. They always pursued. When God moved, they moved. They didn't say, we're done. How many times do we settle into our Christianity and say, oh man, can we just settle into comfort here, God? Can I, can I, just, uh, can I just go to church? 
Can I just go to church on Sunday and avoid doing really hard things and the radical go to Kurdistan and Bangkok and bro- yeah, this is radical. It's dangerous. I'm tired. Can I just stay here? Can I just do this and then I can arrive at heaven safely? Right? We settle in. We get comfortable. And God is not for the comfort of his people on earth. That's not the goal. This is not the reward. It's not a comfortable life on earth. The, the reward is meeting God face to face in heaven. That is the reward. Like, we have to understand that. We have to know that God never promises comfort on this earth. Think about Moses. Maybe you know how the story of Moses ends. Maybe you do not. But Moses is a man who's really championed this whole journey to the promised land, right? He's the main human character. He's longed to make it to the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. He gets there in Deuteronomy 34. He goes up to Mount Nebo and God is up there. And God says, hey Moses. He parts the clouds and says, there it is. There is the land flowing with milk and honey. The land I promised you. The land that I promised your forefathers. All the comforts of the world right down there. This is it, Moses. I've let you see it. Now, you know what, Moses? Uh, You're going to die on this hill and Joshua's taking him in. You don't get to go. Right? Maybe Maybe you don't know that story. Right? Because you don't grow big churches telling stories like that. But listen, this is the truth. This is the reality. Don't feel bad for Moses because he would show up later on another mountain, the mountain of transfiguration. And Jesus took his disciples up on the hill and Jesus revealed himself in all his glory. And he's standing up there with Elijah and Moses. Think about that for a second. Moses gets denied the promised land, but now he's standing on the mountain of transfiguration with Elijah. Jesus Christ, they're sitting there. They're literally talking to each other in the flesh. And you know what Moses wasn't saying at that moment? Dang, I missed out on that milk and honey. Woo. God, really? Jesus, come on. Can I get that? No. He was standing in the presence of Jesus. And he wasn't thinking about milk and honey. Because God's comfort on earth for his people was never the goal. It's to meet him face to face. Since the beginning of time, God's people have suffered. Some of you are suffering in here today. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. You may not know what it is quite yet, but God is on the journey. And there's a greater reward ahead. Think about John the Baptist. All right, let's get New Testament. John the Baptist. Jesus uh, called John the Baptist the greatest born of woman. This is the man, right? John the Baptist, he's the guy running around. The kingdom of God's coming. It's near. Repent. He is going to be magnificent. I might even be worthy to tie his shoes. Rome, you're done. He's going to crush y'all. He's the man. He's come to free the people. John the Baptist, John the Baptist. He's proclaiming it everywhere he goes. That's what John the Baptist did. And then, boom, John the Baptist gets thrown into prison. So John the Baptist sitting in prison. He's like, hey, this is not really working out like I thought it was going to. Can you send a message to Jesus? Messenger takes the message, goes out. Hey, uh, John the Baptist wants to know, are you really the one that you say that you are? Are you really the Savior of the world? Are you really the Christ? Jesus says, I am. I will heal the lame. 
I will cause the blind to see. I will set the captives free. And you know John's loving hearing that, right? And then Jesus says, yes, I'm the one. But John, you are going to die right here in prison. You'll die here. John got his head cut off. Don't weep for John. John's with Jesus, right? He's standing in the presence of Jesus, and he ain't looking for the guy that took his head. He doesn't care. He literally has the greatest gift he could ever have, standing in the presence of face the face of God. This is what we must cling to as we walk through struggles, aches, pains, sufferings that you're walking through today. Cling to the promise that you're on this journey to the promised land. That's us, right? We're not there yet. Right? We're on the journey. We continually move. We don't stop. We don't settle in for comfort. When we get to the destination, it all makes sense. It's all worthwhile. The second thing I want us to see in this is that God is guiding his people. As I said, the, the cloud, as it moved, they moved. As it stayed in this place, they stayed in the place. This cloud by day, the fire by night, served as this navigational system where God directed and guided his people. They got a cloud, yo. They got a cloud, they got a fire. And we're looking at that and we're like, that's amazing. Oh, I wish I had a cloud. Oh, I wish I had the fire. God, can you just make it so clear? Like, who am I supposed to marry? Just check out the one over there with a cloud that's just kind of rotating right around their head. (laughs) What job am I supposed to take? Well, just that fire right over there. Just go to that one. That's the one you need to go to. Man, uh, what about my finances? Do this, the cloud here, uh, the, 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 the cloud here, the fire by night. We look for these signs, and man, that, we, we say, wouldn't that just be awesome? God, just take all the, the fuzziness out. Just make those things happen. We have something greater. We have something greater than the cloud and the fire by night to guide us. We're going to get to what those things are in just a moment, but this is where I want to pause for just a second. Because many times we make the mistake of being guided by our emotions and by our feelings. The directions of our life, we don't really know. So what we do is we let our feelings and our emotions guide our decisions. And sometimes we even like to play the game of speaking Christianese and say, well, I feel the Lord leading me here. And I feel the Lord leading me there. I feel the Lord leading me to choose this husband and that husband and this job. I feel, I feel. When in fact, it's really not the Lord leading at all. It's just emotions and feelings. What we have is something greater than a cloud and a fire at night. What we have are two things. First of all, the primary cloud for us that guides, directs the will of our life. How do we we know? What is the will and the direction of God in my life? The first one is, the first cloud is picking up your Bible. It's the first thing you do. It's the, it's the revealed word of God is the primary means of knowing the direction and the will of God in your life. Not your feelings, not your emotions. You want to know if it's a feeling or emotion guiding? Pick up the Bible, study it well. And when you don't understand it and you need help interpreting what it says, you go ask a wise Christian who knows the Bible, who can help you discern the will of God in the text. Want to know the will of God for your life? Pick your Bible up. Start by doing that. Now, every single answer is not revealed in the Scriptures. 
We know there are things that are discernible and require wisdom and those kind of things. So how do we, how do we answer those questions? How do we deal with things and make decisions where the Scriptures do not speak clearly? Well, we're learned about what that thing is. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what John says in 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Helper is capitalized. If you're an English teacher, you're like, helper is not supposed to be capitalized. Unless it's a person, which it is. Helper. He will give you a helper to help you understand, to discern the Spirit. That same Spirit that hovered over the tabernacle, guided and directed the people, now dwells in the life of followers of Jesus. Guiding, being our navigational system, discerning the will of God in our lives. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that we are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So there's no more temple, there's no more tabernacle system. God's Spirit, that same Spirit that hovered over, dwells in the life of every single believer. Man, that's an incredible gift, isn't it? This entire story of Exodus, this entire story of the tabernacle system and all its intricacies, all of the things, it all just points to Jesus. How does it do that? Well, you must understand and study the tabernacle. We've done that well. The tabernacle, think about all of the restrictions there was. Although God had set up a place where man and, and, and himself could dwell together, there was restrictions. They could only go in at certain times of the year. Only certain people dressed in a certain manner. They had to have a sacrifice. Leviticus talks about the sacrificial system that was put in place. They had to come in and slaughter the blood and kill a lamb or a bull or a goat to sacrifice and atone for the sins in order to get into the tabernacle. There was all of these restrictions that were placed upon the tabernacle. So it just wasn't sufficient. Jesus Christ comes on the scene. He tears down the tabernacle. No more need for the tabernacle and all its restrictions in order to access God. He comes in. And because of Jesus Christ, there are no more restrictions to accessing God. There's no more determining who can and who cannot. Only the people in Jesus Christ can access God anytime, anywhere we want to. Right here, later today, in our prayers, it's not restricted to a tabernacle anymore. We don't have to wear priestly garments to approach the throne of God. He clothes us with a robe of righteousness we don't have to come toting our bag of, bo- of goats and bulls to slaughter the animals for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ was the last sacrifice. His body, his blood shed. He shut the tabernacle system down. And for those that trust in Christ, you now get the full access of God. The way that you were created to be with God in all his glory. If Jesus got in, you get in. Guys are going to come out. And we've been talking about this gospel in Exodus all the way through. If today, if you do not understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He comes in on the scene 
to, to, to destroy the tabernacle system. He lives the perfect sin, sinless light so he can even walk into the tabernacle. Died the perfect death on the cross. He was that last sacrifice. Resurrected on the third day to show that he was in fact God. And for all those that trust in Jesus to be saved, you now get the full access of God. The heavenly place is the promised land. If you don't have Jesus, you don't get access. You don't have access today, and you will never get access into the kingdom without Jesus Christ. He's our greatest, greatest Moses. He's the greater Moses, and he is our exodus. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We adore you. We cherish you. We take seriously your commands. We eagerly prepare for you to do something magnificent in our life. God, thank you for saving us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him just eradicating the need for the tabernacle. That we don't have all these parameters and restrictions to be able to come to you. Thank you, Jesus. By your grace, you've done these things. And I pray, God, that this study of the book of Exodus will transform us in such a way that people will be able to see and people would come to know you as Jesus Christ. Father, we love you in Christ's precious name. Amen.